Um, The reading is from Daniel 7. It's on your sheets. I don't know whether it'll appear or not. It's going to appear. There we go. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Thank you very much, Jane. Our series in the I Ams from John's Gospel is over now, and we're now heading into the middle bit of Daniel. If you're not a regular at the morning services, you might be wondering why. Uh, It's because uh, we did actually do Daniel chapter 1 to the first half of 7 in our morning services in the autumn last year. And then we had a bit of a break, and now we're coming back to the second half in the evening services now. Uh, Good uh, encouragements to make it to a morning and an evening service as well, if you can. Anyway, obviously the second half of Daniel is, be, is too strong stuff for the morning congregation, so we're getting in the evening. This is the material that you won't find in Sunday school. Uh, the fiery furnace and the lion's den, they come up in the first half. They're quite strong stuff themselves, actually, aren't they? Uh, that's good for the Sunday school class. 
Uh, but the visions in the second half of Daniel are a bit more challenging, but still very important for the church today, as they tell us wonderful truths about how our world is and who God is. In the first half of chapter 7, which we did just about cover off uh, back on Remembrance Sunday uh, last year, we saw the vision of the four beasts, uh, four beasts coming up and doing terrible things, and then the fourth beast, uh, slightly bizarrely, with ten horns that come up out of its head, uh, and then an eleventh horn, a smaller horn, that comes up and defeats three of the other horns. Uh, it's all slightly wacky, and it sets the tone for what's going to come up, but it tells us, as I say, important truths about our world. The focus in that first half of chapter 7 was on the transfer of power from the little horn to the Son of Man, who's presented to the Ancient of Days, and uh, the awe that we feel at seeing that coronation of the Son of Man, who's given all power and authority. Uh, Well, by contrast, the focus in the second half of chapter 7 is going to be on the horns, the little horns and the beasts, which Daniel is going to ask in a perplexed fashion about. There was a little bit of ambiguity, uh, which we talked about when we looked at it, about who these beasts are, what they represent, especially the final one and what its horns represent. Well, the short answer is you don't know exactly. It's not totally clear. Uh, There are some strong parallels between the four beasts in chapter 7 and the uh, dream in chapter 2 of Daniel um, of the statue and the four layers to it that we uh, read about a, a few months ago now. It's likely, but not definitive, that those four in the uh, dream stand for four great empires of the ancient world, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And it's possible, likewise, that the four beasts uh, stand for the four, those four great empires again. It's certainly much less clear what the ten horns might stand for, and any attempts to try and link that to a particular powers or particular principalities uh, in the world are certainly fraught with problems. Uh, So let's not try doing that, certainly. It's possible they simply refer to the many powers that have arisen since the decline of the ancient world and the decline of that fourth empire of Rome. There's another important difference between chapter 2 and chapter 7 of Daniel. So in chapter 2, the focus was on the great stone the stone that hit the statue and brought it tumbling down, and then it grew into a great mighty mountain, and the process by which the kingdom of God thereby was established in the world. By contrast, at the back end of chapter 7 we're going to look at now this evening, the focus is much more on the power of the, the horns, and the little horn in particular, uh, before the sudden and calamitous downfall that they suffer at the hands of the kingdom of God. Chapter 2, the focus is on the gradual growth of the kingdom. Chapter 7, the focus is on ungodliness represented by the horns before the sudden coming of the kingdom of God. Both of those, of course, are entirely true. They're not contradicting each other. Uh, We're not finding a a Bible contradiction within the pages of Daniel itself. Uh, Both of these situations are true. It's the kingdom is now, now and growing, and it's also not yet one that will come suddenly and unmistakably at the end of the ages in the way described here in chapter 7. In the meantime, there are three particular manifestations of ungodliness that we find represented here in chapter 7 that will uh, characterise the world as we know it. Violence, war, and blasphemy. Now, I'll stop, pause there. If you're feeling a little bit defrauded uh, by me... uh, explaining these away in terms of abstract concepts of violence, war, and blasphemy. Uh, 
I'll say in my defence that I think, again, like in Chapter 2, this vision is meant to be a little bit vague, and we're not really meant to be able to pin down exactly uh, what the prophecy is talking about. It's enough for us to be ready, uh, if it does refer to particular events, for those events to happen, and for us to be prepared for the fact that violence, war, and blasphemy do characterise our age. And maybe it could be when we look back in years to come, or in the world to come, and think, ah, that was the particular event that actually Daniel was talking about. It might be easier to do it at that stage, but at this stage, it's a bit of a, bit of a fool's game. So firstly, ungodliness in the world is marked by violence. Have a look at verse 17. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, uh, is explained to Daniel by one who is standing there uh, at the side. The four great beasts we saw come out uh, from the underworld in the first half of the chapter uh, do terrible things. The bear was seen with ribs in his mouth, uh, tearing away at them. The leopard was seen dominating the world. And the fourth beast, the horned terror, was seen stamping all nations with his left and right feet. It's interesting, isn't it, that the nations today do gain their characteristics and do characterise themselves uh, with uh, wild, beastly images. So the English lion and the American bald eagle and the Russian bear... Uh, and even mythical beasts as well, Uh, the Chinese dragon, and even Scotland has the unicorn to represent us. Even today, in our so-called civilised modern world, nations do characterise themselves in terms of wild, ferocious beasts. And so it's no surprise to find the kingdoms that are represented by these beasts in Daniel 7 are represented by wild beasts doing ferocious things. Our world is characterised by violence, Certainly the four empires that seem most likely to be represented by uh, those four beasts, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, were marked by violence. Uh, Even within Daniel, we've seen the empire of Babylon throwing people into a fiery furnace, of Persia throwing them into a lion's den. Greece, meanwhile, well, Alexander the Great and his conquest thought nothing of entirely destroying the city of Thebes and murdering thousands in his wake. Rome, meanwhile, of course, renowned for its means of crucifying uh, criminals. But even absent of those connections, and if we're going to uh, abstract the concepts that we find, the vision reminds us of quite how violent our world is, that humanity without God is, in general, violent. Muggings, theft, intimidation, blackmail, murder... We don't need a war in Ukraine to have these sorts of things come across our news headlines and on this TV screen. Human nature is to use force to achieve power. And the only thing sometimes that can deter it is the threat or reality of greater force. Of course, that's our temptation too. It's not just a problem for others, for people out there. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard, don't murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry is liable to judgment. Anyone who insults another is liable to the council. Anyone who says, you fool, is liable to hellfire. Groups and nations that commit violence are made up of individuals who will that violence. 
though this may be the reality of our world, the good news of verse 18 from our reading is that, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Our world is characterized in the meantime by violence. Secondly, it's characterized by war. Verses 20 and 21. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head, so do we, I'm sure, and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. The four beasts may have fought each other a bit, but the focus in the vision of uh, chapter 7 was simply their violence, their violent behaviour towards others. In the explanation of the little horn, though, it's very clear that the little horn is making war against other powers. It fights against three of the other ten horns and overcomes them, and then it fights also against the saints. There was a strain of thought in the 1990s that warfare, major warfare, was over uh, with the fall of the Eastern Bloc. There was now a hegemony of liberal democracy in the world that would prevent future warfare from happening. Well, that might have been slightly naive, looking at it now from 30 years' perspective. Uh, They thought back then, perhaps, that China was going to fully open up, that the Islamic world would westernise, that dictatorships like Cuba and Belarus and North Korea would gradually fade into history. But now we see that... In some cases, these things are going in completely the opposite direction to what was thought at the end of the Cold War. 2001 certainly questions that consensus, and 2022 perhaps has further put another nail in its coffin, if not shattered it entirely. Ukraine might just be the tip of the iceberg. What will happen next to Taiwan when China sees the ease with which a state can simply take over a smaller neighbour? What about Israel and Iran and the nuclear standoff that's brewing there? What about Georgia and other former Soviet states on the edge of Russia? What fate will theirs be after the Ukraine situation? What about Greece and Turkey, etc., etc.? And meanwhile, wars going on within Yemen, Ethiopia, Somalia, and smaller conflicts just bubbling away in many other parts of the world, in Africa and South America. War is very much here to stay, sadly. Whether or not it's on our screens, it's going on and will continue to go on, just as Jesus says that wars and rumours of wars will continue. Verse 21 of the reading is especially disturbing, isn't it? That the little horn was going to wage war against the holy people they can defeat them. A few wars in the past have had particular uh, outcomes, uh, particular negative outcomes for the church and church groups, the Armenian genocide, uh, the starvation of the Maronites in Lebanon, and much more recently, of course, the ISIS attacks on the Chaldeans in Iraq. But the prophecy here seems to be much more concentrated, a focused war specifically on the saints. And persecution of Christians globally is a war by another name. There's certainly no declared war going on in China at the moment, but there are churches being demolished. There's no war underway officially in Iran, but there are many Christians and Christian ministers in prison. There's no war officially underway in India, that Christians continue to be burned and churches looted. 
evidence, all of it, of the little horn at work waging its war against the saints. But again, good news at the end of this little section in verse 22. This all happened until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. In the meantime, violence and war, and thirdly, blasphemy. Ungodliness in the world is marked by blasphemy. Verse 25. He, the little horn, will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. Blasphemy isn't something we talk about huge amounts, not something, not a word that crosses our lips very frequently, I'd have thought, but it's still a big and growing problem. Blasphemy is to speak sacrilegiously, to speak un, in an unholy fashion about God and the things of God. Profane talk. Uh, see, there's a, a little instance in using the Lord's name in vain, saying things like, oh God, or oh Lord, oh Jesus, in a flippant way in everyday conversation, which is the focus of the third commandment. But it's wider than simply just taking the Lord's name in vain. It's speaking about anything to do with him, the gospel, the church, in a uh, sacrilegious, mundane fashion. The Bradford socialist John Gott was the last person in this country to be convicted under civil law for a blasphemy offence. Back in 1921, he published a pamphlet uh, characterising Jesus as a circus clown. By 1949, uh, Lord Denning, who's well known to many people who studied law in this country, said that the blasphemy laws were a dead letter. And certainly by 2008, the government thought it was high time to actually take them off the statute book. So the attitude of civil society and civil law has changed about what blasphemy is, or whether it is a real problem. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and the gospel remains. The state may or may not reflect it, but blasphemy is still a problem, still a sin, and always offensive to Christ. And it's exactly what the little horn does in verse 25, when it speaks against the Most High. We see this again, daily, in the world around us, don't we? As I said, the Lord's name being taken in vain, left, right and centre. But then Sundays being ignored, willfully. The Bible being publicly laughed at. I remember very vividly a uh, debate I was taking, in, taking part of um, about 20 years ago now. And I made a throwaway reference to a Bible verse as part of my arguments. And it was simply laughed out of the room. Uh, there was such derision for even a reference to the Bible. The stream of blasphemy that comes from the little horn, inspired by the little horn, leads to oppression and cultural reorientation. He speaks against the Most High and oppresses his holy people and tries to change the set times and the laws. Time and law are some of the most fundamental anchors after religion of our society. They're the things we measure and move our lives by. The pattern of weekends, for example, is important because Sundays are special. The pattern of the year is marked, isn't it, by Christmas and Easter. There's two major festivals of the Christian church. Take those away, the year would look completely different. 
Even the dates that we mark time by, 2022, what's it stated in relation to? Of course, the defining events of the birth of our Saviour. It is the year of the Lord. Likewise, the law is a great foundation of our society. Certainly, as I say, the blasphemy law is off the statute book, but law against polygamy is still there, law against theft and murder, law against bestiality and pedophilia. So many of our laws uh, coming from a a Judeo-Christian worldview. But the little horn doesn't seek to simply tinker with those laws. He wants to completely overwrite them and undermine them. The little horn seeks to change the whole basis of law. Now, if you think this is all cloud cuckoo land, let me reassure you that our powers in our world today, which would like to change, are weeks and have a different special day of the week. There are powers that would love to change the years and have different major public feasts and holidays. There are powers, strong powers, that would love to change the calendar and completely change the basis by which we date our years. And there are powers, strong powers, that would love to completely change the basis of our law with a new legal system based on alien values. Don't be surprised at this work of the little horn speaking blasphemy, changing religion, changing law, changing times. Be prepared. And again, the good news in verse 26 but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. What's the result of all this for Daniel? Uh, Verse 28, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. There's a human response there. Uh, Despite reassurances, that we've had throughout the passage, to be deeply troubled, to be worried by what he's seeing, which I'm sure would have come across in this vision in great colour and clarity, um, muted slightly for us perhaps by the need to express it in in words. But whatever troubles us, and whatever troubles us, whether from the passage or from what we read in our news headlines and see in the news, whether in Ukraine or elsewhere, we can be reassured by the same things that sought to reassure Daniel and keep him from those troubles. Summed up best, perhaps, by those three little words at the start of verses 18, 22, and 26. 18, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom. 22, until the ancient of days came. 26, but the court will sit. Terrible things happening in our world terrible ways in which it's characterised. But, until, but, the kingdom will come suddenly, unmistakably. It's growing, but it will come fully one day in great power and glory. And may we be reassured by that, whatever may come. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise you for the reality that you showed Daniel through these visions. Thank you that he recorded them and the Holy Spirit has kept them for us to show us many things about how our world is. Help us to read them responsibly, Heavenly Father, not to get carried away, but to see the truths you have for us here. 
to prepare us for life in your world. We're sorry, and Heavenly Father, we mourn for the evil we do see in our world, particularly at times like this. We pray against it, Heavenly Father. We pray for restraint of evil and for deliverance for ourselves from evil. And yet we pray also that your kingdom would come and these times would be wrapped up and the Lord Jesus would reign and be seen to reign forever and fully over all things. Amen.